Hey everyone, this is Joe with Central City Church, and uh, welcome to the Central City Podcast. Excited to have you. Before we get into our teaching today, I want to let you know of a little announcement. On February 25th, we are launching a new online church experience. So if you listen to the podcast, especially if you don't live in Columbus or you're not able to make it to church very often for whatever reason, we would absolutely love for you to join us at the online church experience. You can find it by just going to live.centralcity.co. I also was wondering if maybe you've been listening to the podcast or a part of the community and you might be interested in helping us. This online experience is going to be different than just tuning in and watching something. We're actually going to have volunteers who are tuned in and are open in a chat room where people who are listening or watching can engage in community and get connected. So if you are a part of our church in some capacity and you're interested in volunteering in a digital sort of ministry, we're starting that in February and we would love your help. If that interests you, um, email Adam. Um, he's uh, going to be our team leader for the online church, and you can email him at adam at centralcity.co. That's adam at centralcity.co. And he'll get you connected and get you everything you need to be able to serve. All right, here's the podcast. If you haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central City. And um, I'm excited to be able to spend some time with you. Um, this morning, uh, we're in a series called um, Love and Money, and um, we've been talking about really how money um, impacts our relationships. So last week, Alyssa kicked the series off. She did a stellar job, I'm not biased at all. And um, she talked about how money um, is just one of the biggest hurdles that people face in their uh, home life. So how does money impact relationships at home? And and then this week, we're going to talk about how love and money impacts relationships in the city. And then next week, we're going to talk about how love, uh, how money uh, impacts relationship with God. And um, I'm particularly excited about today. Um, I, excited is probably the wrong word to use. I'm, I'm actually really nervous as, uh, you know, as we talk about uh, money and how it impacts relationships in a community like the city of Columbus. It's... Um, uh, it's by nature a very political issue, and so we're gonna we're gonna just jump in. Uh, we're just gonna jump in with two feet. So back in March, uh, the Dispatch uh, ran an article on uh, income inequality in the city of Columbus, and in it, it stated that based on a number of studies that they've done, that Columbus was one of the most economically segregated cities in the United States. Uh, other studies. Uh, don't suggest that, but some studies do, so depending on how you look at the numbers and how you measure it. That, but in Columbus, people live and they shop and they associate and they're in relationship most often with people of similar income. Now, that might not be true for you, but as I've chatted with people, it's true for a lot of people. I just want to throw out just a second. I've never preached with one of these handhelds. It's kind of cool. <laughs> I might be hooked. I don't know why. But anyways, I'm going to just keep doing it for it, and I might, I might switch later. But um, the Columbus, we, we, tend to, we tend to associate with people with similar income. And, and as I've interacted with a lot of individuals and talked about it, like this has been, this is the norm. It isn't, doesn't have to be that way. I don't think it's the Christian response, but it's the norm. And so let me just give you just a very brief picture of what income and, and, um, and finances look like in our city. So the Kerwin Institute of, of OSU put together a number of maps, um, and this is in the article that Dispatch ran, that talks about the different income levels uh, for people who live in Columbus. And you're, you're not going to be surprised by the findings. This is, you know, if you are surprised then you've been living in a hole but this is how the map of Columbus looks so here is people who earn less than 1250 a month okay 
So I'm not great at math. I pulled out my calculator and I figured out that that's about 15,000 a year. So here's people who make 15,000 a year or less. And the different colors, the different shades, the darker it gets, the higher percentage of people um, make that level of income. So um, right here, this is where we are. Right here in Grandview Heights. And that's one of the lighter shades. So somewhere probably between zero to 20% um, make. So there's, there's people in this neighborhood even that make less than 15,000 a year. Um, just to the south, you have Franklinton, which is where my wife and I live and where um, there's a high level of percentage of people who make less than 15,000 a year. I'll just give you a picture. Now, the next map is the reverse. So we flip it and we look at um, people who uh, are making 42,000 or more a year. So once again, the darker it gets, the higher percentage. So this is, is this a surprise to anyone? No, I mean, you're familiar with Columbus enough, right? So this is, this is the darker it is, the higher percentage of people are making 42,000 or more a year. So um, this is a picture in a lot of ways of what the Columbus area looks like in regards to income. And uh, just to give you an idea of just how segregated it is, um, they mentioned this study that if, if, um, if you consider this area right around here, so right up in this area, North Clintonville and North Linden, um, the, the median income for North Clinton area in this particular segment is $100,000, which means, bring you back to the school so you understand, median, means that if you laid out everyone's income, 100,000 would be in the middle, which means just as many people make more than that as, as make less than that in that particular area. So if you go just two miles uh, to the uh, right into North Linden, any guesses on what the median income is? It is not 100,000. 27,700. So in less than a two mile distance, you have an income difference of $70,000. Now, this is just one way to look at it, um, but this plays out in so many ways. In fact, I asked on Facebook, and this isn't even in my notes because I had to cut it, but I asked on Facebook, where do rich people hang out and where do poor people hang out? And people began to share these responses, and what you find is that not only are we living in different neighborhoods, but we don't even frequent a lot of the same places. Like our choice of place for building community is so different that there is real segregation. And I couldn't find any studies, but I bet if you looked at churches, you'd find them following right in line with what's already happening in the city. We tend to go to church, we tend to hang out, we tend to be in community, and we tend to live people, generally speaking, similar income. So at the heart of this, there's a simple question. When we talk about how money impacts relationships in the city, in our city, what are we really asking? What is the Christian response to income inequality or, or income diversity, if, you, if that income inequality is too political of a charge term for you? Income diversity. And that's really what we're talking about. The reality is, is that there are people who make drastically different amounts of money, right? That's just, I, I'm, I didn't make that. It's just the way it is. And so what does it mean for us? And what is the Christian response to be in relationship with one another? How do we respond to that? Now, I pose this question to Facebook. Anyone see this? Oh, immediately people chimed in. Now, I, uh, I posed this question not because I was particularly looking for an answer. It's a little secret into the way that I work. I just was curious on how charged of a question it was. I just want to see how sensitive an issue it was. What do you think? Was it sensitive or not? 
very sensitive issue. Hence, I'm very nervous this morning. <laughs> it's a hot topic. Now, here's the thing. I want, I want to deal with this in a, in a manner that's worthy of the topic. But I don't plan on this morning holding any punches. So if you're looking for a particularly soft message, I did soften it up a little bit, mostly by going back to Scripture. So that is as soft as I get. And so I'm, I'm not saying that anything is like, I'm not trying to be preachy or judgmental. I just want to have an honest and, and hard look at this topic that we've been presented. What does it look like? How is money really impacting relationships? And then ultimately, how is it impacting church, community, the body of Christ? So, of course, to do that, we're going to look at some scripture. I'm going to be looking at a number of different passages. So you can follow along with your Bibles or on the screen, um, or they'll be on the screen, but you can also follow along in the events tab of the YouVersion Bible app if you have that. Now, it would make sense when looking at scripture and talking about income diversity, it would make sense to actually start in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is filled with passages and laws about how the rich and the poor should interact with one another. We don't have time to do that today, but I would encourage you to read some of those passages. In fact, I'll post on our podcast page a link to a number of these passages in the Old Testament that talk about how the rich and poor should relate to one another. Now, another good place to start would be the person of Jesus. Because if you look at the person of Jesus, here is this God who actually stepped out of the riches of heaven and came to earth, lived amongst us. He loved both the rich and the poor. He would hang out with wealthy tax collectors. He would hang out with the homeless. And he, he, he just, boundaries, neighborhood boundaries didn't stop Jesus. He was in all of them. And you could read through the Gospels and see that. And in fact, we don't have time today to look at that. But I challenge you to, and I'll include some links on our podcast. What I want to do today is look at how the early church took these principles from the Old Testament and took these example and teachings of Jesus and began to live them out in the everyday mess of life. Because that is exactly where we are, isn't it? We're a church just like the early church. We have the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, just like they eventually had. And they're trying to figure out how do we love one another across economic divide, taking what we've learned in the Old Testament, taking what... So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the early church. You can find uh, stories of the old early church, if you didn't know this, in the book of Acts. And in the early chapters of this book, we have this beautiful passage that describes the start of our church... Uh, and what you'll find is that the early church, the first church, they start the church not – the start of the church not only dealt with income inequality or income diversity. It, it dealt with it beautifully. I mean it's this powerful passage. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 2 starting with verse 42. If you've been in the scriptures and in the church long, you're probably familiar with this passage. It's used a lot, and I'll probably teach from it again. But it reads this. It's a summary of what the early church looked like, and it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They had everything in common. Now, another way of saying this is that uh, they shared everything. Now, how did they share everything? Next verse, 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had everything in common. They sold what they had and they shared with those who were in need. They gathered all the time in their homes. They, they invested in each other. They invested in people, not possessions. Here's what I find in the early church. The church couldn't ignore the fact that some people who were following Jesus had a lot and other people who were following Jesus didn't. They didn't ignore it. It wasn't something that they put off to some later date. It's right here, right at the beginning. It's the first thing that they do as a church. Not some future thing, but today they say right now, the first church said, we're addressing this issue head on and our solution to this issue is radical generosity and intentional relationships. Many scholars believe that this passage is presented not only as a depiction of the early church, but as a, an ideal for the church. And in some ways, in many ways, it's more of an ideal than even probably a reality. Because what we find in the early church is this ideal did not last very long. If you're looking at that and you're like, I don't know how that would ever be possible, you are not alone. Most of the early church didn't know how it was possible either. In fact, just in a couple chapters, there's this couple who are trying to live into the ideal, but they do it deceptively and they like... They pretend to sell everything, and they actually do sell everything, but then they lie about it. Does anyone know what happened to them? Don't tell anyone. You'll oof, read that one on your own Acts 5. doesn't go well. <laughs> they get it, what I'm saying is like they get it wrong, right? Like You see this ideal, but they don't live into it very long. They start messing it up right away, and you see it over and over in the church. So I want to look at another passage later in the early church of a church that's actually getting this wrong, and Paul addresses them. So we're going to jump to the first letter of the Corinthians. First letter to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, starting with verse 17. Now, Paul is writing the church in Corinthians, and this is what he says. He had a lot of things against the Corinthians, but most of the time he says nice things and then kind of some hard things. But here, only hard things. He says this, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Jeez, man, relax. I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Okay, stop there. Paul is actually suggesting that when these believers were gathering together, that their gatherings, their meetings, whether it was worship or a board meeting or whatever, Bible study, meeting in the homes, that their gatherings together did more harm than good. Now, now we know that when two or more Christians gather together, Jesus is there and we shouldn't forsake the gathering together. We know that and that's true. But it is possible for Christians to gather together and do more harm than good. Did you know that? In fact, some of you know that because you've experienced it. You've been a product of the harm. It's possible. It's not how it should be. It's not how it always is. But it's possible. That's what Paul's saying. So we have to ask, what are they doing as a community that's making it so destructive? Right? Because then we're like, let's not do that. Okay? <laughs> like, just sign me up to not do whatever it was they're doing because he had no praise for them. Next verse, he says this. In the first place, which is just scary because, you know, like, we're not even going to get into, the, like, the second or third place. We're just looking at the first place. But whenever someone says in the first place, you're like, there's multiple issues? Yeah, there's, there was multiple issues. But the first place, we're just going to look at that one. In the first place, I, it's like a like a married couple, Paul, and his churches a lot of times. But in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Okay, so here's the problem. He tells, he tells very clearly what the problem is. There are divisions in the church. 
and it's the divisions that are causing harm. The Greek word here for division means to tear. So something that's supposed to be one, something that's supposed to be together is getting ripped in two. The church is being torn apart because of these divisions. In other words, there was a lack of real, genuine community. So the next question becomes, if you're like, I want to avoid that kind of division, is what was dividing them? Well, you should be able to guess. We're in a series right now on how money impacts relationships. Any guesses on what was dividing this particular church? Money. How'd you know? Skip to verse 20. It says this. I'll have to well unpack this a little bit. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Okay, so we have to kind of like understand what was happening in the early church and what Paul's talking about. Here's what's happening. When the church gathered together, they didn't come. They didn't have a praise band and teaching. They had teaching probably, but not like a praise band or anything like that. They would gather together, like it says in Acts, around a table and they would eat a meal. But in Corinth, this is what was happening. The Corinth church was very diverse, which is usually a good thing. We want to be diverse. But in this particular church, their diversity was creating division. And so the rich people were naturally not, not necessarily evil or anything. The rich people were just, they happened to be friends with one another. That you tend to be in relationship with people of similar income. So the rich people, and, and the church probably met at one of the rich houses because it was big enough to hold everybody. So the rich people, they were coming early and they were bringing their meal, their Lord's Supper, and they had bread and all this sort of stuff. It wasn't just like communion like we do. It's like a, a full meal. And they were coming early and they were eating and they were drinking wine. That's what you drank. And they were drinking, and it turns out, a lot of wine. And then the poor members of the church showed up on time, probably, with their little contribution of a little bit of bread, you know, like probably similar to what we have, a little wafer and maybe just a little shop glass of wine. And everyone is sharing in community. But at this point, you have the poor and they're hungry because all the food's been eaten already. The rich people have been hanging out together. And the rich are slightly drunk. Can you, can you imagine the situation? And Paul says, this should not be happening. I mean, imagine a house party, and there's a group enjoying themselves in the name of Jesus. But in one room, you have followers of Jesus who could afford all of these luxuries, and they ate. And then in another room, you had all of those who couldn't, and they're all by themselves. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine how terrible it would be, and how awkward, and how humiliating? And this was supposed to be the church. Now, that's how it was back then. We don't do that anymore. Paul goes on, um, and he just kind of lays into them, talking directly uh, to the rich, actually, who likely ran the community. Um, and he says this in verse 22. He says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for that? Certainly not in this matter. Paul is just so clearly outraged because there is this real tear in the church. The church is meant to be this community where the rich and the poor and whoever else can be embraced as family and they can sit at the same table regardless of who they are. 
Now, now hear this out. He doesn't condemn the rich for being rich. He says, you've, you've got homes to enjoy your wealth in. He condemns them for using their wealth as a barrier to community. The issue wasn't money. Just like money isn't the root of all evil. The love of money is. Let's not get that verse wrong. The issue wasn't money. The issue was how money was impacting relationships in God's community. Last year, I, um, I preached a sermon on the rich young ruler. I don't know if you're familiar with that passage. It's a story about how Jesus asked this guy, this guy who happened to be rich, and he happened to have a lot of power, and he happened to be young. Three things we all uh, wish we could have. And he asked this guy, uh, he commanded him even, to sell all he had and give it to the poor. It's a powerful story, and I think it's an important part of this conversation. I don't want to talk about that so much as a response that I got from one of my friends. One of my friends has always been poor, even to this day. And after that sermon, he emailed me his thoughts on this particular passage of the rich young ruler. He was talking about in his email how Jesus asked this guy to give his wealth away and how this rich ruler eventually walked away sad. And he explains why he thinks the ruler was sad. So I'm just going to read you his response. Here's somebody who's lived their entire lives in poverty. Their take on this story. By him giving his wealth away... He would have gained, he didn't give it away, by the way. He walked away sad. But if he would have, he would have gained an understanding most rich people don't have and risk never having. That life is supposed to be a shared struggle. His wealth is a wall that doesn't even allow him to see people like me, my friend is saying. And if he does, he will think that I need what he has and I want nothing to do with what he has. But because of that wall, a conversation will never take place. Instead of Jesus asking him to give up something, I see Jesus inviting him into something, inviting him into life. His sadness came from his great separation from community. As someone who has struggled all my life with money, I feel it is easier for me to follow the teachings of Jesus. We are all one in Christ. That comes easy for me. With the rich I have dealt with, We are only one with each other when I find a way to move up to their position in life, which is hard to do given that I don't want what they have. Because I see that having what they have moves me further from Jesus, and he says, no deal. Even if you don't agree with what my friend wrote, um, I think it's profound hearing his Perspective on what it means to follow Jesus. And one thing we can walk away from is that, friends, money is deeply impacting our ability to be in relationship with other people. It's impacting it still 2,000 years later, the way Christians share in community. And the issue is that money or the lack of money is producing, in many ways, two different problems in our lives. If we have too much money, we no longer need community. If we have too little money, we need community so badly we'll take it even when it's not offered. So I want to explain how this works out, how money, too much or too little, can actually be really damaging. Do that, I'm going to look at Proverbs. There's this really great passage in Proverbs that talks about the rich and the poor. It's Proverbs 37 through 9. You can jump there if you want. It'll be on the screen. The writer says this, two things I ask of you. So he's like, God, I just want two things. That's all I want is two things. Uh, deny them not before I die. I want these before I don't. Uh, before I'm done here, I want these two things. Remove from me falsehood and lying. So this guy clearly struggled with lying. But the second one's really interesting. 
He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. He says, I don't want to be rich and I don't want to be poor. Now, the reason is, is because both extreme wealth and extreme poverty create different problems, but they're problems all the same. He explains them in verse 9. He says, he says, I don't be rich, I don't be poor, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? And lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. You see, the, the extreme poor are often so desperate for community or the benefits of community that they'll take it even without permission. They're in so need of other people and what other people have to offer that they might take it even when it's not offered. And it's not that this passage is saying that it's okay to steal, but there is a sense of empathy, isn't there? He's saying like, don't make me that poor or I'll probably do that too. Because I'll have no, like, and that would be terrible. That's not what I want my life to be about. But if I become so desperate for other people's help, I'll take it even if they're not offering it. So you're not offering me that money? I'll take it anyways. Because I need, you know, so desperate for community. The rich, though, are on the other end of the spectrum, he says. He says you can gain so much wealth that you end up not needing anyone. Not even God. That's what he's saying here. He says, if I become too rich, I don't want to become too poor, but if I become too rich, I won't need anyone. Not even you, God. And I'll find myself saying, who's God? Which is another way of saying, I am. I'm God. I have all I need and more. I'm entirely self-sufficient. I don't need God. I don't need people. I don't need community. I don't need the church. Money is fixing all of my problems. I can fix it. I can pay someone to fix it. Now, here's the most interesting thing about this passage. When people do studies on how money impacts relationships and how money impacts societies, they find this is actually what happens. So this was written thousands of years ago, and then modern-day sociologists will study this, and they find the same thing to be true. Interesting, right? In fact, countless experiments on human interactions regarding money, um, there was a number of researchers that studied it um, from a number of universities, and, and they found that money has both positive and negative impacts on relationships or how we relate to one another. Here's how the article that was talking about the, the findings summarized it. It says, the bottom line is, is that money appears to have both positive and negative effects on behavior. On the one hand, it encourages self-sufficiency and hard work. On the other, it discourages some positive social interaction. They, they found the more money you were acquiring in these different social experiments, the less empathetic you became, the less compassion you would have. In other words, money makes us more independent. So we aren't as desperate. But on the other hand, it makes us more independent so we don't tend to need each other. Which is exactly what the Proverbs cried out to God, oh God, please don't make me rich that I've become too independent I don't need you. But don't make me poor that I become too unindependent or not independent that I become desperate. Can you imagine if that was your prayer? Lord, don't make me rich. Don't make me poor either, but don't make me rich. I mean, I feel like this prayer just flies in the face of American values. And honestly, of many preachers who talk about how God wants you to be blessed. And the ten ways you can be blessed right now. 
If you were to text $10 to Central City Church right now, not only will you get a towel blessed by me, but God will bless you and you will never want Now, here's the thing. I believe God wants us to be blessed. I do. I just think that blessing that God wants for us isn't necessarily money. In fact, probably isn't. And, and you, you don't need me to tell you that. Any Facebook meeting will point out that relationships are worth more than anything you can buy. That at the heart of what it means to be human is to have community. It's just why I think Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the who? Poor. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, synonymous or code word for the community of God. Theirs is the community of God. They already understand community and the need for one another. Not always. We're talking in big brushstrokes, friends. But he says, blessed are the poor who are so desperate for one another, they get what the kingdom of God is all about because they need each other. <clears throat> the poor are so hungry for it. And it's almost as if the kingdom of God is only for those who hunger for it. We have to hunger for it. This week I sat down with someone who happens to be extremely wealthy. In fact, in his prime back in the 2000s, he drove a Porsche, had 30 custom suits, owns a condo downtown, and spent money like crazy. But I met with him for a particular reason. Even though he still today has great wealth, I heard that he builds numerous relationships with people who are living outside. And every week he goes to a homeless camp, and every day he's texting a couple people. One guy in particular right now, he's texting First person, he's, he said that he's the first person that texts me in the morning and the last person that texts me at night. This guy is living outside. And so when you talk to him, you can really sense this deep love and care for other people, especially those who are worse off than him. And you can just see, he sees them as the children of God. He cares for them, he loves them. And, and, and the issues around the homeless that he's working with, there, there's no easy solution, but he's trying and he's investing. And so as we talked about Money and how it impacts relationships. I was like, I gotta meet this guy and I gotta pick his brain a little bit. I just like, how is he able to cross the second? Because you, you don't know a lot of people. I don't know a lot of people who do that. So he's probably at one end of the spectrum. They're obviously at the end, and he's building relationships with them. So I meet with him and I ask him, and I ask him. Uh, we sat down. I shared with him what I was going to talk about, and I asked him. I said, How in the world did you do it? How did you end up wealthy as you are, hanging out with homeless people? I mean, like, how did that happen? Very open-ended question. His answer surprised me. Because I, I thought he would maybe go into like his first encounter with a homeless person or is like deciding to volunteer for an organization. Or like, I thought it was going to be about the relationship first. But his answer was actually about something that God was doing in his, his heart. You see, he deals in real estate. And when the market crashed in 2008, his life crashed as well. And he had this crisis of faith. And in the midst of almost losing everything, he started to seek God, as we do sometimes. Now, he'd always gone to church, but he'd never really given God much thought. So he started meeting with someone to learn how to grow in his faith. And this person challenged him. This mentor could tell that money had this hold on his life. And so even in the midst of this recent financial crisis, his mentor challenged him this way. He said, I challenge you to start giving your money away. Give it away. Give until it hurts, is what his mentor said. Give until it hurts. Sound familiar? 
Jesus encounters a rich young ruler, and he tells him, sell all you have and give to the poor. Give until it hurts. The rich young ruler walked away sad. This one, my, my new friend that I met, he, uh, he didn't. He jumped in with both feet. He didn't want to. He didn't enjoy it at first, but he started giving. Even in the midst of one of his greatest financial crises, he had to change his spending habits. He had to change everything about him. But his relationship with money changed as his relationship with God changed. And guess what? God began to work so profoundly in his life. Two things are true about this person now. One, he gave his entire life to Jesus. Huge transformative moment. Changed his life forever. And two, he says his favorite thing to do now is give. He just can't get, he just enjoys it so much. So when I asked him though, when I asked him like, how did he end up building relationships with people who are homeless? That's the story, that's his answer. Like that's what had to happen in his life in order to be able to have the ministry he has now. Because money for him, and maybe it's not for you, but for him it had this huge bondage in his life. And he had to be free from it. And he had to surrender his life entirely to God. So I asked him, would you be able to be in relationship with people of much lower income than you if you hadn't first had this transformative experience with Jesus? If you hadn't first realigned your priorities? He didn't hesitate for a second. He said, no. So I speak to you today. If you haven't first figured out, and we're going to talk about this more next week, how money impacts our relationship with God, but what I found is that we should have flipped these teachings, shouldn't we have? That how money impacts our relationship with God is the first step to being able to have a relationship with other people. When Paul wrote his letter to the church in Corinth, um, really challenging them for the way that they were divided, for the clear division between the rich and the poor, he did something rather interesting, something that you might have missed. He said this to them. We've already read this passage. I want to read it again. He says, Don't you have homes to eat in and drink in, or do you despise the church by, of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. And we already talked about this, uh, what it means on the surface, but what I want you to consider, I want you to consider just one more time from a different angle. So stop and think about this for a second. Paul is correcting the problem in the church. This problem of division, a problem between this division between the rich and the poor, the rich and the poor in their community. And there were. There was rich people in their community. There was poor people in the community. That's what made up the church. And yet, when Paul corrects them, who does he talk to? Who is he addressing? Who is he challenging? Which side? Who's put, who, who is he putting the pressure on to, to make some change? The poor in the community or the rich? It's challenging, isn't it? That makes me uncomfortable, so I don't even know how uncomfortable you are. <laughs> Paul corrects the rich. He challenges them because, you know, I think this is like in Spider-Man or something. To whom much is given, much is required. Still, still true. You see, in our faith, we operate out of a very simple principle. It's the, the basis of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and it's found in the example of Jesus. Jesus stepped out of the riches of heaven and lived amongst us. Jesus came down to our level. 
That's the movement Paul is challenging us. That's the movement of discipleship. It's not to become wealthier and richer and have more power. It's to empty yourself more and more like Jesus did. And and so many times in Christians, our goal when it comes to the wealthy and the poor is to fix the problems. And and let me, friends, let me tell you, if we're trying to figure out how to get homeless people into homes, if we're trying to figure out how to address the drug addiction epidemic, and if we're trying to figure out how to end prostitution, all of these issues are complicated. I don't fully understand them. I'm still learning. And and, and, and there's, it's just, it's messy. And there's actually a lot that's being done that's really good. And and so, yes, there's there's some solutions that the Bible has to say about those issues. But if we're looking at specifically how money impacts relationships, the solution is for those who have to step down to those who And it might not fix all those other, there might be other solutions to the actual problems that we want fixed, but if we're trying to fix the problem of relationships, what it means is we have to meet them at the level and, and create a table table to be in relationship, to be in community, to step down. And that is the invitation Jesus offers us all. To follow him is to take a step down, to empty yourself just a little more, to be just a little more humble, a little more generous, a little more compassionate, a little more understanding. Move in that direction. So if you're curious what this looks like and how they play out in a lot of other issues, um, you may or may not know we're starting a class, and this is actually, you, you just got the introduction to our class of uh, Hello Neighbor. What does it mean to build relationships with people um, in poverty? And uh, we're going to be offering it on Sunday nights, I think, starting next week. That's right. Big not on there, but um, uh, it's going to be on Sunday nights. It's going to include dinner. We're going to talk more about this. If, if you have any desire to learn more about how you can be involved in it and what our vision for as a church looks like around these issues come to that class. We're going to talk about why we plant, why we hope to plant churches in wealthy neighborhoods and poor neighborhoods, how we hope to build relationship bridges across those different churches, how we can move towards relationships. In fact, I was just thinking today, we had volunteer coordinator for local missions up on the screen. You know what we really need? We don't need a local missions volunteer coordinator. We need a local missions relationship coordinator. Have someone who can help us navigate relationships with other people, because that's really kind of our big focus. Um, And in the midst of that, we'll hopefully be addressing a lot of other issues um, uh, that are happening in the city of Columbus and then ultimately around the world. So I encourage you, if you're looking for a next step, that's the invitation I extend. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you for, we thank you for your grace in the midst of challenges. Lord, I know there are people here on all levels of the economic spectrum. I know there are people here who are living as wealthy but are actually very, very poor, both spiritually and probably debt, pressures, and expenses. And Lord, this is just such a difficult, difficult topic. So we just ask that you would come and just shower us with your grace and your love, that you would help us make changes in our lives, even just small ones incrementally, that we can become more and more like your son, that we can love each other, and we can be in authentic relationship with one another, that you'd remove those barriers that separate us from those you love. We ask all this in your name. All God's people said, amen.